Welcome to Travel Time. My son and I took a quick trip to Boston to visit some colleges and took some time there to do some sightseeing and eating while we were there. We kicked off our adventure by meeting up with a colleague of mine, L.A. Burdick, handmade chocolatier, for some treats. We had hot chocolates, of course, and some pastries to get a quick snack in. My friend knew about the shop and suggested we meet there, and we were glad he did. The hot chocolate especially was superb. We brought home some little penguins and turkeys for the holidays as well. After our snack break and our friend meetup, we were off to do the Boston Freedom Trail. Freedom Trail is a path in the city of Boston sidewalks and leads to the trail's 16 official historic sites. There are numerous tours you can take with a guide, but we wanted to go out at our own pace and be free to stop and eat or check side stops out as, as we wanted to. So we went and did our own tour. We instead downloaded an audio companion to the tour and listened to the descriptions and history tidbits at each site. This worked out really well for us, and the online brochure is available on the Freedom Trail website linked in the show notes. Note that the brochure still talks about numerous COVID precautions that were not in effect at the time that we visited, but the brochures were probably set up in case they had to pivot to more cautious measures. We started off at Boston Common, which was just a few blocks from L.A. Burdick's. Boston Common is America's oldest public park. It was originally a grazing ground for sheep and cattle that the community shared. In 1622, Anglican William Blackstone settled on Beacon Hill, seeking a reclusive quiet life. By 1635, the Puritans had arrived, and he sold his property to the townspeople to move to Rhode Island for more space because it had become too crowded. Each household paid six shillings to purchase the 44 acres of land, and at times it has been training fields for militia, a British arming camp during Boston's occupation, a place where pirates and riches were hung, as well as criminals. It's also a place where public speakers have spoken on these grounds. Next stop was the Massachusetts State House. We did not go inside for the tour due to our time constraints, but it was completed in January 1798, and the Golden Dome was once made of wood. Interestingly, Paul Revere overlaid it with copper. And then later, and was covered in 23 karat gold leaf in 1874. The state house sits on land that was originally John Hancock's cow pasture. It's one of the oldest buildings on Beacon Hill. Across from the state house on the edge of Boston Common is a memorial to Robert Gould Shaw in the Massachusetts 54th Regiment. While not one of the official 16 stops, our audio guide thankfully included it. This is the infantry featured in the movie Glory and depicts July 18, 1863 to Mark Shaw's death after he and his troops attacked Fort Wagner, which was protecting Charleston, South Carolina. The memorial is also depicted in the credit scene of the movie Glory. Sadly, it was defaced several times in the 2010s by racists, but is now restored and visible again. We continued on to Park Street Church. The steeple at one point was the first landmark people saw when approaching Boston. It was founded in 1809, and its site is known as the Brimstone Corner, possibly because it once housed brimstone, a component of gunpowder, in his basement during the War of 1812. America, song that begins, My Country, Tis of Thee, was first sung here on July 4, 1831. Next up was the Granary Burying Ground. This was very much like visiting a who's who of the American Revolutionary Period. John Hancock, Paul Revere, Samuel Adams, and the Boston Massacre victims, as well as more, were buried here. There were only 2,345 markers, but it is estimated at least 5,000 people are buried here. Over 400 children have been buried in the infant's tomb alone. Next up was King's Chapel and Burying Ground. We weren't able to go into the King's Chapel, but stopped outside to learn more about it. It was founded in 1686 as the first Anglican church in New England. The 1754 Stone Chapel is on the same side as the original 1688 building. It also includes the oldest continuously used pulpit in America, over 200 years old. The bell is an 1816 Paul Revere bell, and it still rings today. 
1785, it became a Unitarian Christian church and remains an active church today. The Boston Latin School site and Benjamin Franklin statue were a short walk away. This was the first public school which offered instruction to boys, rich or poor, free of charge. Girls were permitted entrance only in 1972. Legend has it, on April 19, 1775, when shots were fired at Lexington, word circulated through the school with, close your book, school's done, war's begun. Benjamin Franklin also attended school here not long before he dropped out of school. The old corner bookstore was built in 1718 and is in Boston's oldest commercial building. It's been a residence, an apothecary, a cigar emporium, a tailor shop, a pizza parlor, but it's most known for its place in American literary history, home of the 19th century publisher Tickner and Fields from 1832 to 1865. They produced many classic works of American literature, including Thoreau's Walden, Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter, Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin, Longfellow's Midnight Ride of Paul Revere, and among others. We eventually got burrito bowls and to take back to our hotel for dinner on our way back to the hotel at Chipotle. And the Chipotle is now in the Old Corner Bookstore building. Nothing like a historical burrito bowl. On our way to the Old South Meeting House, we made a quick stop at Shake Shack for a late light lunch, and then on to the Meeting House, starting spot for the Boston Tea Party, as angry colonists gathered here on December 16, 1773, and started the revolution with the Boston Tea Party. It was built in 1729 as a Puritan house of worship, and at the time, it was the largest building in Boston. Colonists gathered here multiple times to protest British rule. It was slated for demolition in 1876, but was saved by Boston citizens who rallied to protect this piece of history. The Old State House is the next stop. Built in 1713, it was the seat of the British colonial power in the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Boston patriots like Samuel Adams, John Hancock, and James Otis Jr. debated here. Directly outside of this building, Bridge and Shoulders opened fire in 1770 on a crowd of unarmed protesters, an incident that became known as the Boston Massacre. When Boston residents first heard the Declaration of Independence from the House Balcony in July of 1776, they tore down the lion and the unicorn statues, symbols of royal authority, and in defiance of the king. Today, the State House is restored to its colonial appearance. The Boston Massacre site, as mentioned, is right outside the old State House. On March 5, 1770, a skirmish erupted between nine British soldiers and a large crowd of Boston residents. Local residents threw snowballs, rocks, and words at a sentry at the Custom House, and the crowd evolved into a mob. When the soldiers opened fire, with five Bostonians getting killed, the British called it an unhappy disturbance at Boston. Paul Revere called it a bloody massacre. The soldiers were defended during the trial by John Adams, who believed as much in justice as in the Patriot cause. The next stop, and not far away, is Fanua Hall. This was one of America's first public meeting venues and was built by merchant Peter Fanua in 1741. It's been a meeting place and a marketplace for over 270 years. The Paul Revere House is a little further along the trail as the stops start to spread out a bit. It was built along 1680 and is the oldest remaining structure in downtown Boston. It's the only official Freedom Trail stop that is a residence. Paul Revere purchased this in 1770 and lived there when he made his famous ride on April 18th to 19th, 1775. Next up was the Old North Church, a famous for the two lanterns that hung there on April 18th, 1775 to indicate that the British were coming by sea across the Charles River. After being summoned by Dr. Joseph Warren with news that the British were coming and planned to arrest Samuel Adams and John Hancock, Revere called a friend and had him hold two lit lanterns in the steeple of Christ Church, which is now known as the Old North Church, as a signal to the Sons of Liberty across the river in case Revere could not leave town. Revere then proceeded to North Harbor and friends rowed him across to Charleston, slipping past the British warship HMS Somerset on the way. He borrowed a horse from a Patriot sympathizer and around 11 p.m. proceeded by horse to Lexington. 
He traveled with Prescott and Dawes and avoided capture narrowly, but rode through Bedford, alarming the houses carefully and carefully avoiding the royal mansion, although he did ride through their grounds. The royals were known loyalists, so he had to be, take care not to alarm them. He arrived at Lexington after midnight. After alerting Samuel Adams and John Hancock, he went on to Concord to verify the military stores were hidden. A short time later, they were taken and intercepted by a British patrol. Prescott and Dawes escaped, but Rear Rear was held for a time, questioned, and then, and then released. His horse was confiscated, though, so he returned to Lexington on foot to witness the latter part of the battle. We stopped here. We were hungry and tired, and the next stops were much more spread out and decided to come back if college visit timing the next day allowed. The next stops, though, are Copsill Burying Ground and then the USS Constitution, also known as Old Ironsides, which was launched in 1797 and used in the War of 1812. And then last, the Bunker Hill Monument. Bunker Hill is the battle where don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes was believed to have been uttered on June 17, 1775. This battle was one of the first times the colonists held their own against the British. We walked back through the North End to stop at Mike's Pastry for some cannolis and macaroons to take back to the hotel for dessert, and then stopped at the old bookstore, as mentioned earlier, to get ch some Chipotle to take back to our hotel. We had an early start the next day looking at colleges. After the college visits the next day, we returned to North End and had an early dinner at Giancomo's, an excellent meal in one of the established North End institutions for great Italian food. We got takeout from Mike's Pastry. Yes, again, <laughs> I love their cannolis. And so we headed back to the hotel. This was a quick trip for us, so we packed a lot into our two days and then had to head home. If you're headed to Boston, highly recommend the Freedom Trail, Giancomo's, Ellie Burdick's, and Mike's Pastry. Check them out. will not regret it. Until then, happy travels. <music>